Open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think I have 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This Bible has lost a little page here. It's all right, though. We got it. Uh, my Bible disappeared on me. I don't know what happened to it. So I grabbed another Bible from the office and someone tore the page. It's all right. We're going to work with this. Let's go ahead. And 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when you got it, say so. And it says this, beginning in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in all the sea, all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not be overcome, be, become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let sexual immorality as some of them did, and in, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. That's where my Bible loses its place in verse 12. Say again. There we go. So therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you so much for your wisdom and for your grace. God, thank you for your goodness um, toward us, Lord. In this day, we humble our hearts before you, and we pray that your spirit would speak to us, Lord God. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church, God. Glorify your name in the preaching of your word, in the hearing of your word. May your kingdom come, Lord God. And we ask, dear Lord, this morning that we would not just hear what you are saying to your church, but God, that we would obey it, that we would respond to it. And Lord God, that you would use it to change our lives and to change the way that we think and the way that we live. May we bring you glory through this, Lord God, and may we stand firm upon the promise that we'll discuss today, Lord God. We thank you for this. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, if you just raise your hand, the ushers will be sure to get you one. We want to make sure that you're able to follow along um, in the introduction of the sermon as well. We want to be sure that you are able to take some notes, and as I always challenge you, we want to be sure that you are doing your part in making disciples, and so this is a tool for you that you're able to use in order to sit down with someone and simply communicate with them what you have 
I've been learning, right, what you've been going through in the scriptures, what you're learning on Sunday, just help someone learn more about Jesus. And so today we are continuing in the Promise Keeper series, our second um, message in this series. And today we'll talk about overcoming temptation. Overcoming temptation, as we saw in the video, there's a lot of distractions in our lives, in our world. And so whether you are a believer in Jesus in this place, that may be some of you, most of you, I hope. Um, and there are others of you that may not be believers in Jesus. You may not have put your faith in Christ. And so if you haven't put your faith in Christ, even though you may not have put your faith in Christ, you know that our world has got some issues. Amen. Our world has some issues. There's some stuff going on in our world. There's some problem. There's some turmoil. There's some um, divisiveness that we see in our world, and it is a result of this thing called sin. And today, we're going to talk about overcoming temptation. So um, sin, according to the Bible, just so you have a little bit of of a working definition, according to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, it is lawlessness or to be without law. When we talk about sin, we're talking about living and the problem in our culture in the biggest way is that we are trying to make a law for ourselves. We're trying to decide what we want to live as, how we want to live, how we want to think, and what laws are we going to obey, not understanding that God has already made clear what his laws are. God has already made clear what his expectations are. God has already made clear what his will is. And so we have that written for us. And all we have to do is look at the scriptures, look at God's word, and we learn what God's standards are. But we live in a day, and this is nothing new. The enemy has always wanted to tempt us to go ahead and create our own laws or create our own standards. And so for those of us, right, that hold the Bible as God's word and final authority in our life, we know God's laws and and God's standards, and yet we are not exempt from the temptation to sin. And so even though we know what God wants, even, even though we know what God, God wills, we are not exempt from the temptation to sin. And so here's the question that we got to think about. It is this, is can we overcome sin? Can we overcome sin? And so Brother Isaac, when he walked in, he said, the answer to number one is yes. Somebody say Yes. Right? Yes, it's true. We can overcome sin. We're not exempt from temptation, though. We, we can overcome sin. We can say no to sin. We can. I mean, everybody has the ability to say no to sin. Whether you're a believer or not, you have the ability to say no. God has given us a choice in the matter. And so you can choose sin or you can choose not to sin. It's the same way that you have a choice on what you're going to eat. Hello, somebody. Right? When, when, when you, whenever for some of us, you know, that, that have dietary things going on in our lives, we make choices, do we not? We decide what we're going to eat, what we're not going to We have a choice in the matter. We can either indulge and the thing that we want that may not be good for us or we can go on ahead and say, you know what, I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to not indulge. I'm going to say no to that thing. And so we can overcome sin, but we can never be exempt from temptation. So I want you to think about this. The temptation to sin is common to all and the escape from sin is accessible to all. The temptation to sin is common to all, right? But the escape from sin is accessible to all. And so for all of us, it's common. It's a normal thing that we read here in verse 13, right? No temptation has has overcome you except that which is common to man. And so we realize that we are tempted and it's a common thing. But what I want you to know is that right there next to the temptation is also the way of escape. God makes it that way. 
God makes it so that way we don't have to fall into sin. We will be tempted because we live in a world. Adam and Eve lived in a world that was perfect. There was no sin in it, and yet the enemy found a way to bring temptation into their lives and to, and to cause them to, to second guess or to question what it was that God had already commanded them. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, to overcome temptation, we must understand how we are tempted. To overcome temptation, we must understand how we are tempted. Look with me really quickly at verses 6 through 11. I just want to look at that. And when you look at verses 1 through 5, right, what, what we have here, and, and, and I just share this because I think that it's an important reference to have, but in verses 1 through 5, we see five blessings that Israel experienced in the wilderness, right? They were under the cloud, you know, they went through the sea together, they were baptized together, and, you know, when they went through that, um, when it when they walked through the sea like that, they were baptized there. They experienced the eating of the manna. They drank of that water, right? So they experienced these certain blessings. But then when you look at verses 6 through 11, you have not five blessings, but you have five areas in which Israel fell into sin, five areas in which they were tempted. And so let's look at it really quickly in verse 6 through 11. It says, now these things became our example. Very important for us to realize. When we look at the purpose of the Old Testament, the Old Old Testament is written for our example. Are you here? It is written for us to know that the God of the Bible has not changed. And although Jesus died, and although he died in our place so that way we would not have to suffer the wrath of God and we could experience a relationship with God, and though the covenant of the Old Testament, right, we no longer sacrifice animals and things like that, even though that is no longer the same, because of what Jesus has done, God has not changed. Are you here? And so there's an example for us to look at in the life and in the way that the children of Israel operated. And Paul, speaking to the church of Corinth, which by the way, I just want you to know, Corinth was a place where there was mad sin in that area. I would say Corinth was the example or similar to what we would call today our sin city, right? There was a, there was a saying in those days to be Corinthianized, right? And so what we're talking about, it was someone who was going to be totally sucked in to a culture of sin and depravity and ungodliness and so the church that is that is raised up there they're raised up in the midst of that depravity they're raised up in the midst I mean they had thousands of what they called the the priestesses and they were prostitutes that were there for the religious activities and for religious reasons they were selling themselves and men would come and they would do things with these women and those were the, that was the type of environment that was there immorality was rampant in the city of Corinth. And so this church is surrounded by that. No different than us being surrounded by sin, being surrounded by debauchery and all of these different things. The, the, the church of Corinth was surrounded by that. But not only was the church of Corinth surrounded by this, but it was also being infiltrated by this. You know why? Because when you are around an environment like that, guess what is happening? If God is working, those people are getting saved. And you know what happens? Can I tell you something? Just because someone gets saved doesn't mean they're clean overnight. Are you here? 
Just because someone gets saved, see, for me, when I, when, you know, as we were singing that song, I love that song, What Mercy Did For Me. And as we were in that moment of worship at the end, and I was thinking back, and tears were coming to my eyes as I was remembering that night that Jesus walked into that room. I remember the night that Jesus entered into that bedroom, and he came, and my mother led me to Christ. And, I mean, and just so overwhelmed, I thought about death, I thought about disease, I thought about prison, because those were all the places that I was on my way to. And so I moved because God delivered me. But you know what? I had a one-up on a lot of people. And you know what it was? I had a religious grandmother. And I say religious because she was a woman who followed a certain standard. And because of the standard of life that she lived, she taught me things even as a sinner that I knew automatically. So for example, when I got saved, I immediately knew cursing was wrong. Like immediately, there was no question. It wasn't like I thought cursing was okay. I just knew cursing was wrong. I knew certain activities were wrong because of what? Because I had a reference point. Can I tell you something? There are people out in our world who have no reference point. They only know that they need Jesus. And you preach the gospel to them and they get saved. That doesn't mean that they automatically walk in the door and they know, hey, I need to stop cursing. I need to stop getting drunk. I need to stop going to clubs. I need to stop hanging out. I need to stop having sex out of marriage. They don't know this because of what? They have no reference point. And the church of Corinth, and see what's wrong in, in, this, in this setting is this, is that we need to disciple those, right? We need to help them understand what's wrong by the scriptures and show them the truth, which is what the apostle Paul is doing. The church of Corinth was a church. They were divided. They were a divided church. You read in the beginning and what was happening? Oh, well, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter and I'm of Paul. And Paul is like, hold on a second. Did any of those people die for you? No, you're of Jesus. Hello. Right? They're a divided church. You fast forward a little bit. He's like, look, there is sexual immorality going on in this place that even Corinth is embarrassed to talk about. Hello. Like these people around you that are so horrible in their sin, they're like, they don't, they don't even sin like you guys are sinning. You guys are off the charts in your sin. He's talking to church folk. Are you here? And so Paul is addressing a church, and he's letting them know, listen, what happened to Israel and everything that went on in the Old Testament is for your example. It is for you and I to look at them and understand this is the holiness of God. And so as we look at verses 6 to 11, let's understand that these five things that we see here, this is the way that we are all tempted, right? We may not be tempted in all of these things, but we are all tempted by some of these things. Keep that in mind. And so he says this. He says, now these things became our example to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. The first thing that we find here is what? We should not lust after evil things. That was the first issue that, that, that we see in the children of Israel. Let me tell you something. Lusting after evil things, desiring evil things, that's our sinful nature. That is the root of every other sin that we're going to commit. It's because of a desire for evil things. And when I say a desire for evil things, I want you to know that everything that God created was good. There was nothing bad that God created. But what happens is sin perverts things. Right? And so you end up worshiping stuff, which brings us to the next point that we'll have here. And it's not to become idolaters. Right? So what ends up happening is we end up worshiping good things, things that God gave us. We put them in the place of God. For example, money. God provides that. And we either do what? We either worship God with our money or we worship our money. Hello? 
right? Pleasure, whatever that pleasure is, whether it's alcohol, whether it's sex, whatever, we can worship God with those things or we can worship those things and we put those before. Family, are you here? You know, some people idolize their family, right? Family is a good thing. Being a good parent is a good thing. You know, having successful children is a good thing. Amen, right? But you ever see people, they go out of their mind when their kids act up. My question is this, are they going out of their mind because they're embarrassed or because they care about their kid? Most of the time, it's because they're embarrassed. It's not because they care about their child's heart. It's because they're embarrassed because their kid made them look bad. You see, because their identity becomes tied to those things. And so he goes on, he talks to them, he says, so don't fall into that, right? So first of all, the evil things that they, that they lusted after. So that's the first issue. The second one is do not become idolaters as some of them were. And I love the fact that he says as some of them. He doesn't say all of them. He says as some of them were. And he goes on, he says in verse, in verse 9 or verse 8, he says, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Again, he's not saying every single one of them did this. Right? He says some of them did this, so don't commit sexual immorality. That was the third thing there that was an issue. Right? Any kind of sex that's outside of marriage that's, that is not condoned in the word of God is something that is sexually immoral. And then he goes on and he says, nor let us tempt, in verse 9, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. And so we see these judgments that are coming upon them, right? They're laid out. Some of them are killed and all of these things. So don't tempt Christ. How do they tempt God? Well, they were over there, and you can just write this down. Exodus chapter 17 is when the water was coming, what was coming from, when the water ended up coming from the rock. And these people were testing God, like, where are you at? Like in the midst of all of this, where are you? You know, we wish we were back over there. Why'd you bring us into the desert? These are the things that these people were communicating about God. So don't test the Lord, questioning God's will, his purpose, his plan. Like God doesn't know what he's doing. Hello. Right? And nobody's ever been there though, right? Just, just Israel. That's it. Never, never been in a situation where you didn't understand why God was allowing or doing or whatever. You didn't even know what to call it. Like, did God allow it? Did God make it happen? Depends on where you're at on that. But the bottom line is, you know, we get into those moments and then we start testing God. God, where are you? Where, where, where are you at in this situation, right? We come to that place where we question him. And then the last thing that he says there in verse 11 he, or in verse 10, he says, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So complaining against God, right? Being ungrateful because you don't agree with God's choices. God said, go this way. You can write down Exodus 16 there. And you can see that's when they, they, they have the manna because they're sitting there, they're talking about, man, why'd you bring us out here? We wish that we were back in Egypt sitting around pots and having all kind of bread like time out like wait a second God just delivered you from the place the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that their cry rose before the Lord and so God responded in mercy brought a deliverer in the form of Moses and Aaron liberates them from Israel majestic and miraculously brings them out of this place and all of a sudden they're walking around the desert and they see God do so many amazing things Right? They see him part the Red Sea. All of this stuff they see. And then what are they saying? They're like, man, where you at? You know, we wish we'd go back. Like, like you want to talk about a slap in the face. Like that's a slap in the face. God delivers you and all of a sudden you're looking back like, I, I wish I still had that. I, I wish things were still that way. The good old days. Hello. Some of y'all get nostalgic. Hello. 
right? See, here's the thing. We must understand these are ways we are all tempted to sin against God, right? Whether it's through idolatry, whether it's through evil desires, whether it's through sexual immorality, whether it's through questioning God and tempting him, whether it's through complaining and grumbling against him. And I'll say this again. We may not be susceptible to all of them, but we are all susceptible to some of them. We may not be susceptible to all of them, right? We, might, we, we, we may not be tempted by all of them, but we are susceptible to some of them. All of us are susceptible. And so, yes, the answer is yes. I agree with my brother Isaac. Yes, we can overcome sin, but we will be tempted. And there are things going on inside of our hearts. It brings us to our second point. Say this with me. To overcome temptation, we must recognize that we can be tempted. To overcome temptation, we must recognize that we can be tempted. I was talking to Hank. He's the owner of the CrossFit where I go. And him and I were talking one day, and we were discussing, you know, um, turmoil and different situations. And, and, and he got all excited. He was like, yo, that's one thing that gets me. is the biggest and greatest lie that the devil has ever told and been able to get people to believe is that he doesn't exist. So one of the greatest lies that the enemy tells that he doesn't exist, but can I tell you one that's right up there with it? It's that you can't fall. It's that you cannot fall. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, this is what the Bible says to all and anyone who thinks that he cannot fall. Look at verse 12. This is for you. This is not a promise. This is a warning, right? The promise is the next verse, but this is a warning. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, 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 I need you to think about this. He's saying, all y'all that are in here that think you're standing, right? And when I say in here, he's not talking like in here right now. We're talking now. But in that moment, there's people that are in Corinth and they're thinking, oh, I can't fall. I'm good, right? I never fall because falling entails two things. Number one, it entails falling into sin. Number two, falling into sins entails falling into God's judgment. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. So don't fall into the judgment seat because remember, these things were written for our example. And so how is it that we, that, that we see them falling? Well, the two ways that this happens is, number one, the first way is that we see in the Corinthians, they were what? They were standing on the sand of cheap grace, cheap grace, the sand of cheap grace, which what were they saying? They were saying, I'm free because of Jesus, and it doesn't matter how I live, I can always be forgiven. That's how they were living. They were living like, hey, you know what? I'm free. Je Jesus died for me, for sure. They understood the gospel. They, listen, if, if anybody understood the gospel, it was those who heard it from the Apostle Paul. Listen, he, he proclaimed that. That is what he proclaimed in every message that he ever preached. He proclaimed that God is a good God, that we are fallen sinners who have fallen away from God because of our sin, by our decisions, that we are separated from God, that we can do nothing to earn God's righteousness, and that Jesus had to die in order to give us and grant us the forgiveness that is necessary and bring us back into a right relationship with God. And once we put our faith, once we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus and turn from our sins, then God gives us a new nature. He gives us a new identity. And now we are new creations in Christ Jesus. No longer are we known by our old name, by our own way, by our old ways, or our old sins. But now we are new. And not only are we new, but we have been given a new nature but they were forgetting that they were forgetting that not only could they be forgiven but they had been given a new nature and yes they could overcome sin but temptation was going to be all around them temptation was going to continue to creep in the temptation to bow to idols was going to continue to creep in and you know what you had a choice you could either choose to turn away from the idolatry or you could do what you could bow to it and be like well I can ask for forgiveness later 
cheap grace. And in the other way that the Corinthians were over there and they were having this issue is this, is that the second way that we can experience this, this type of um, being tempted is when we deny that we have any weaknesses. In essence, I don't need mercy. I don't need grace. So which is worse? See, because I've, I've had conversations with both. Right. I've had conversations with those who believe, man, I, I, can't, I, I, I am okay. I don't need to live holy. I can be all right because I put my faith in Jesus one day. Hello? So that, that I'm okay. I've had that conversation. And then, and, and then I've also had the conversation with the one that you're talking about sin. They never see any sin in their life. They never. You, you tell them, man, I see this. Now that you're wrong. <laughs> I'm like, I'm telling you I see this like in your. No, you're wrong. That's not. I'm, I don't have that weakness. That's not an issue for me, right? Like everything in your life is saying you have chicken pox. Like, no, I don't, right? Like, like, like everything in your life is saying, it's, it's, it's like, you know, that person that has bad breath that they don't know. You know that person, right? You know that. You know them. You're thinking about them right now. Just pray for them, right, in a halitosis. But, but here's the thing, right? They, they, they have bad breath, but it doesn't seem that they don't realize it, right? And they use all of those, those, those letters and those vowels and those words that just seem to cause their breath to just hit you like harder, right? And as you're talking, right? And then you're like there, and I don't know about you, but like me, I'd be like this. I'm like scratching my nose a lot while they're talking to me. And, I, and you know, I always listen like this, whether you have bad breath or not, but I always listen like this, and I just kind of push my hand up a little bit more, right? So, you know, ultimately, they don't recognize it, right? They don't, they don't realize this, and that's how some people are. Right? Some people with their sin, they don't realize that they man, that man, you you have some weak areas. You have some areas where there is weakness in your life. There's some areas where you can fall into sin, where you have to take heed to the scripture. The bottom line is this: the Apostle Paul's warning is clear. We can all fall into God's judgment by falling into sin. Let me say that again. We, his, his warning is clear. We can all fall into God's judgment by falling into sin. Now, here's the thing. We can either fall into eternal judgment or we can end up in temporal judgment. It's one of the two. But we can all fall, find ourselves falling into those types of sins, right, where we end up experiencing some type of judgment. And this is what the Apostle Paul was warning them about. So what do we need to do? We need to take heed to the warning. We need to take heed to the warning. We need to guard ourselves through prayer, through being in God's word, through being in a place of worship, through being in relationships of accountability, right? Through being in relationships with those who will speak into our lives. We need to be sure that we are examining ourselves to be sure that we are in the faith and that we haven't drifted away. Are you here? Paul warns us, not just so that we can give us a cute warning but he warns us because these things are real. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, to overcome temptation, we must accept God's escape route. Hmm. To overcome temptation, we must accept God's escape route. Look at verse 13. And this is what it says here. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. What did I say earlier? I said, temptation to sin is common to all, and the escape from sin is accessible to all. The temptation to sin is common to all. No, listen, you may think you're the only person being tempted the way you are. You're not. There's tons of people that have been. As a matter of fact, in this room, I guarantee you, if we decided that we were just going to flash each other, and I don't mean that literally, all right, hello, right? But if we decided, you know, I, 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 when I say that, I mean that on a, in a figurative way. You know, yeah, you'll understand this. You ever been around someone you thought they were really holy and all of a sudden they dropped the F-bomb or something like that around you? You were like, whoa. Right? 
You know, I, I, I never forget this. this. This this has to be the one thing that probably marked my life more than anything ever. I remember one day I was on the phone with someone, and I'm I'm smiling about this. This is really not funny, but it's I guess it's funny now. But it's pretty crazy. I'm on the phone with someone. We're having a conversation, and all of a sudden, this person went from talking to me to cursing the person out who cut them off. Like I wasn't even on the phone with them. Like literally just went. I mean, and blah 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 blah. blah. I was like, whoa, and they were like, hey, I gotta go, and hung up. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, wow, that was, that was like deep, right, you know? And so my, my thing is like that's what I call a flash, right? You're like, like someone just flashed. They just showed you their sin. But if we did that in this room, if we went around this room right here, I guarantee you, you would find some people in here that they got the same issues you have. They're being tempted the same way that you are. It may not be the same exact thing, but they're being tempted by that. Maybe they're struggling with idolatry. Maybe they're struggling with sexual immorality. Maybe they're struggling with some evil desires in their life. Maybe they're struggling and they're complaining about what God is doing and how he's doing it. Maybe they're just dealing with, man, they're just, they're just complaining all the time, right? Like they're never grateful to what God has done. And so I, it's important for us to recognize this because the promise gives us hope and first of all he lays it out he's like look no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man everyone is tempted to sin but everyone is also offered the way out the way of escape and so if you don't know Jesus in this place the first step is grabbing a hold of him by faith and saying God I put my faith in you because you are the way of escape that's the bottom line but then as a believer we have to move forward and so he goes on and he says that no temptation has come upon us except that which is common to man he said but God is faithful you need to underline that in your bible you need to, whenever you see God is faithful, like in this whole promise keeper series, this is what I'm looking at. When the Bible says he is faithful, God is faithful, that is such important terms and such important news. God is faithful. Look what he says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now pause for a moment. I want you to notice what he said there. He said he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. You know what that means? It means that despite the fact, and I want you to know this, the book of James tells us clearly, chapter one, that God tempts no one, right? We are tempted when we are drawn away and enticed by our own desires. God doesn't tempt us, but what you need to know is that God controls the temptation. Are you here? He limits the temptation. He doesn't allow the enemy to just run wild on your life and tempt you however he wants. He doesn't just allow situations to occur in your life that are too much for you to bear. But he gives us a promise and he says this. He is not going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In other words, God knows what you can handle and he will only allow you to be tempted that far. Now here's the thing. You have a choice because some of us, it's not God who's putting temptation in our lives. Life, we're putting ourselves in tempting situations. Are you here? God doesn't put temptation in our life. As God walks with us, he, look, he sees what's going on, and he allows certain things to happen, but he limits what the enemy is allowed to do. We are the ones who decide we're going to go further than we need to go. Listen, if you had a problem with alcohol, you have no business in the alehouse. Are you here? If you, have, if you have an issue with pornography, you need to go ahead and you need to set up every single area of your life of protection to make sure that you do not fall into that. In other words, you don't have your phone in your room by yourself. Are you here? Hello? You make sure your computer is in a place where anybody could walk upon you at any moment. Are you here? 
right? You don't put yourself in tempting situations because of what? You make sure, because God is, listen, you have to make sure that you are not allowing yourself to go beyond where God says, hey, I'm not going to give you more than you can bear. I'm not going to allow, and I'm talking about temptation, and I'm talking about trials of life. Are you here? There's a difference. Some people misquote this scripture and be like, well, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That's not talking about what they're saying. The Bible clearly says, and I'll point you to another scripture later on, but the Bible clearly says and shows us that there are trials in our lives that are too much for us to bear, and God's grace is sufficient in those moments. But when it comes to temptation, it's not that way. Why is that? Because we need to recognize this, is that he will never allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear, and he never wills our failure but our victory. Are you here? He will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear because he doesn't want you to fail. He wants you to walk in victory. He wants you to overcome sin. He wants you to know greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And so if he allows you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, then guess what? You're always going to walk in defeat. You're always going to walk with your head down. You're never going to walk in the power of the gospel. And God doesn't want us to walk in a weak and wimpy type of Christianity. Here's the bottom line. How we deal with temptation exposes the condition of our hearts. And so he says he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And then look what he says. And he says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, and look at what he says here, that you may be able to bear it. Notice this. He says this here. He says, but with the temptation, he is going to do what? He is going to make a way of escape. With So as the temptation is coming, there's a way of escape. As the temptation is occurring, there's a way of escape. As the temptation is happening, there is a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. The choice is up to us. Are we willing to take the way of escape or do we want to indulge in the sin? See, because there's five different sins here, right, that we, that we talked about. Five different areas of temptation. And so for evil desires, listen, how do we deal with that? Because here, here's what I want you to understand. When, when you look at this word, um, the, this word escape, what it means is this. It means an egress or a way out. In classical Greek, especially, it means a way out of the sea. So think about this. In, in latter Greek, it means a landing place. So, so notice this. It's talking about going, being in the sea, right, in rough waters, and there being a place for you to land. That's, what, that, that's the picture that is given here by this word when you look it up in its original context. And so what God is saying is, listen, I'm not just giving you an ability to escape something and run away and not feel something, but he goes on to explain to us what he means. He says that you will have the way of escape. And look what he says, that you may be able, say be able that you may be able to bear it, right? That you may be able to bear it. And so with each of these temptations, there's a different way of escape. And so if I'm being tempted by evil desires, how do I deal with the temptation of evil desires? I have to check those evil desires, know what those evil desires are, and I need to repent of them, right? I need to trust God. Okay, God, even though I desire this thing, right? Even though I want to do this thing, even though I want to go and have that drink, I know that that's not good for me, so I'm not going to do that. See, that desire that's there to go and get drunk, I'm not going to do that. You know what, God? Even though I desire this sexual immorality, I know that this is not your will, and so I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to do that. Even though, Lord, I want to find my identity and my value in my family or in my work or in whatever it is in my successes, even though I want to do that, I'm not going to find those things there, but I'm going to worship you and you alone. I'm going to worship you through those things. I'm not going to let those things become idols in my life. 
You see, with each of these temptations, there is the way out. When it comes to complaining about the way God is, you know what it is? It's like, God, I'm not going to complain. I don't understand this, but I trust you. Learning to worship him in the midst of those moments is how we overcome. That's the way out. And that is the way that we bear it. See, here's, here's, here's the thing. When I was reading this, I was so stirred by it that you may be able. The reason why I had you repeat the words be able is because when you look up those words be able, it is the word dunamai in the Greek. And if you, and if you, if you ever heard anything about being endued with power, right, in, 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 the, in, the New, in the New Testament, it is the word dunamis. And I want you to know that the word dunamai is actually the root word for the word dunamis. So what is dunamis, dunamai? You're like, what, is, what are we talking about here? Here's, here's what it is. The dunamis was the power of God, the supernatural power of God to be witnesses for Jesus. When the Holy Spirit came upon the people in the book of Acts in the upper room, they were endued with power. They were given the dunamis of God, the power of God in order to be witnesses for God. And what Paul is saying here is that God gives you the way of escape that you may be able, that you may be able, hear that, that you may be able, that you are given the dunamai, the supernatural power of God to do what? To bear it. In other words, to be able to stand up under that temptation, that when that temptation is coming, listen, it is not saying that you put yourself in tempting situations. What it is saying is that we can go ahead and when we are faced with temptation, we can bear it and God gives us the strength and the ability to say no. So the original question was, can we overcome sin? And the answer is yes. The bottom line for us as we face temptations and opportunities to sin against God is this. Hear me clearly. Is do we desire endurance or indulgence? Do we desire endurance or indulgence? Do you want to indulge in the sin? You're not going to overcome the temptation. If you want to endure, if you want to walk in the, in the ways of Jesus, if you want to walk in the victory that God offers us through the gospel, then you will desire and you will choose endurance. If we desire to please God, that's the vision of our church, to please the Lord in everything that we do. If we desire to please the Lord, we will choose the way of escape and we will endure the temptation before us, proving our faith, not earning our salvation. Understand this. When I say no to sin, you know what I'm simply saying? I'm being who God created me to be. That's all I am. I am, I am simply agreeing. When I say no to sin, I'm simply saying, yes, I'm a child of God. I'm simply saying, yes, I put my faith in Jesus. When I say no to sin, I am simply affirming my new identity. That's what I'm doing. Can I say the opposite is true as well? Absolutely. When I decide to sin, you know what I'm doing? I'm denying my new identity. When I decide to sin, I'm denying my relationship with Jesus. When I decide to sin, I am denying the new creation that I am. That's what's happening. I'm having an identity crisis at that moment as a believer. See, if you and I put our faith in Jesus, guess what? When temptation comes our way, we have a choice in the matter, and we have already been given a promise. God will give us the ability to overcome all the temptation. With the temptation comes what? The way of escape. And God's strength and ability for us to endure it. And so here is my closing thought question for you. Are you overcoming sin and enduring temptation by taking the way of escape? Are you doing that? Are you giving in to sin? My prayer is that you are overcoming sin. And if you are not overcoming sin, I call you today to repentance. I call you today to trust God's word and his promise. And commit today 
that you will no longer give in to your evil desires, that you will no longer give in to those things that pull you away from who you are in Christ, but that you will take the way of escape and that you will endure the temptation by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. So I stand to our feet and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so, so very much for your love, for your grace, for your power, for your spirit. Thank you, God, for the truth that we can overcome sin, that we do not have to be bound by sin, that while we may never be perfect this side of heaven, we don't have to, we don't have to walk in a life of defeat, but we can walk and we can live a life of victory. You promise us by the power of your word that we can overcome and so, Lord, today we take you at your word. I pray for each of us that are in this place. If we have been weak, if we have been living in defeat today, God, break us free from the excuses. Break us free from the strongholds. Break us free from the powers of darkness. Holy Spirit, fill my brothers and my sisters in this place with the power of your grace to overcome sin. And Lord, for anyone in here that does not know you, God, may they call upon your name today for salvation. May they call upon you today and cry out and ask you to forgive them of their sins. Ask you to fill them with your Holy Spirit and ask you to empower them to live a life in victory for your glory and for your name's sake. We thank you for all of these things and we believe that you are at work in us. In Jesus' good name, everyone said. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.